On this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, we discuss the latest news, discuss some recent survey issues, review the OSHA 300 form, and discuss maintaining compliance between surveys. And in our focus segment, we talk about supply chain issues and developments in supply cycle management and interview our friends at Trivalence. Welcome to the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, the longest-running podcast specifically focused on the freestanding ambulatory surgery industry. We'd like to thank our sponsor of this episode, Trivalence. Trivalence offers a comprehensive next-generation ASC solution that optimizes payment and supply chain performance, enabling actionable data insights. For more information about Trivalence, visit their website at trivalence.com. That's T-R-I-V-A-L-E-N-C-E.com. Welcome to episode 182 of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey for March 9th, 2023. We're recording from our studios in Spencerport, New York. This is Sue Cronkite, Chief Researcher for the ASC Podcast with John Gailey and Operations Manager for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. We would like to remind our listeners that the ASC regulatory environment is a rapidly evolving landscape, and the material presented in this episode is based on the most current information available as of the date of recording. As such, it's important to recognize that this information may be subject to change, and we advise all ASCs to stay up to date with the latest regulations and guidelines issued by the relevant regulatory bodies. And joining me today is John Gailey, the owner of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies and one of the most respected experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. With over 30 years of experience, Mr. Gailey has authored over 10 books on the ASC industry and is a sought-after speaker on regulatory accreditation and finance issues. So this episode was supposed to go out about a week ago, but Mm -hmm. uh, sitting next to me (laughs) in the studio is... Rosie, who we've been talking about, was going to have puppies, and she she's, did. She, she's a very tired that's right. dog right now. She had seven puppies, and it's been keeping all of us busy and very tired. That's right. And, of course, she's ignoring her puppies right now by being down in the studio. <laughs> they're, they're all sound asleep. She needs a break. She needs a break. So she's happy to be away from them for a little bit. Uh, and I'm heading off to uh, C training, uh, retraining in Tampa. So uh, we're recording on a Thursday here, and we'll be I'll be heading down uh, – Tomorrow morning to uh, visit with all of my friends, fellow surveyors, uh, and uh, and all, and we have a whole bunch of new surveyors too that are going mm-hmm. through the same training program. So I'm looking forward to it. And uh, we uh, we just recorded an episode for staff. You know, if you remember, we we have the staff edition, uh, which uh, and this episode, which we'll publish like the day before this one, uh, 182 does, uh, on instructions for you. So uh, that might be a useful. Uh, episode to either l- let your staff listen to during a staff meeting or to just ask them if they might want to listen to it on the way into work or way home from work. And in our next episode, uh, 183, we're going to be talking about governance. 
Um, we haven't talked about that topic soon, about uh, no. two years now I was mm-hmm. looking. So it's about time we uh, recycle the conversation and kind of update everybody on all the things that are going on in that area. And along those lines, we have decided to introduce a new series. So just like we have the staff edition, we're going to have a governing body edition which is going to be geared toward owners and governing body members of surgery centers. So we hope to have that episode out uh, shortly after the governing body episode comes out in about a week or so. And then uh, we're also working on a series of interviews about IT, uh, information technology, and the ambulatory surgery sending with our friends at SIS. So, Sue, what's going on in the news? Well, in Becker's ASC review, I saw an article by Riz Hatton, So many hospitals are struggling with financial issues, and some of the hospitals are dealing with this by cutting out some service lines. Many of these services can be provided by ASCs, so, you know, this can be a really great opportunity for our industry. It might be challenging right now to take advantage of this with all the staffing problems everybody's experiencing, but, you know, and many centers are already overwhelmed by the backlog of cases from the pandemic, but this could potentially um, make scheduling elective procedures difficult as more emergent needs are moved to ASC. So there's kind of a good and a bad side to this. But I think in the long run, if we can get enough staff and, yeah. and you know, get and, and be efficient about it, it could it could be a great um, job security for, for ASCs. Yeah, I, I think we're also, uh, I just actually, we, I just finished a conversation with uh, Haida, the Health Industry Distributors mm-hmm. Association. I'm preparing to do a speech for an upcoming conference of theirs. And we're talking about that movement of of cases from the hospital setting to the surgery center, just as we want that to occur, you know, distributors and manufacturers, reps, people that are selling to the industry need to know what's going on uh, because a lot of those cases that they, frankly, sell a lot of supplies for are moving out of that hospital setting and they need Mm -hmm. to know how to sell uh, to an ambulatory surgery center. So that's something that we're uh, working with Haida on is to help them become much more efficient and much more useful consultant, shall we say, uh, to uh, to you when they come in and try to sell their products. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I think Solving we've seen problems. this. We're seeing an awful lot of uh, movement, especially of total joints now. I, I mean, we have tons of centers right now that uh, we work with that are are really developing uh, total mm-hmm. joint programs. So, yeah, yeah definitely. And cardiology. Cardiology yeah. will be a new mm-hmm. one, yes. And a, a new angle on burnout in healthcare. Um, I've seen a lot of recent articles discussing patient burnout. Um, there's one in Becker's, there's one in WebMD, and, and as I said, I've seen a, a few different ones. Um, you know, we're so used to thinking about physicians and staff being burned out, but think about how much these issues tie into each other um, with the patient burnout and how much each exacerbates the other. So, you know, when staff is overwhelmed, they're probably not taking as much time to give really personal care to the patients, and the wait times may be longer if, if you know, you're overwhelmed with appointments. And the more that our patients are unhappy, the worse our job experience is and our job satisfaction. And I know I feel that most of my recent experiences, whether personally or with family members or friends, you know, their medical um, visits, their health care has not, we haven't come away feeling very good about it. I just think everybody, no, not at all. And obviously there's no easy solution to this, but... And just recognizing that your staff may need some extra recognition to help keep them motivated um, and just being there to listen when they get frustrated. And just be aware that patients are also feeling frustrated and burned out. And so on the one hand, they might not be as compliant with, you know, their appointments and that kind of thing because they just feel, you know, a lot of just give up. You know, you have to make an appointment. It takes so long. You just don't, you know, you just get, well, burned out. Um, 
But, you know, that might help when you're having to deal with a particularly challenging patient to just remember it's it's probably not you. It's probably yeah. just that the person's really just, you know, everybody's feeling the stress of it, I think. Yeah, the wait times are definitely a lot higher. Uh, mm-hmm. You and I both have experience with emergency rooms recently with yeah. our, not ourselves, but, uh, mm-hmm. and, and not even the two of us. It's been our, all of our family members that yeah. have uh, experienced it. We had one of our employees uh uh, was in a uh, hospital recently and uh, there for two days, and they still don't know what caused his particular problem, yeah. which was uh, very disturbing for him. And I don't think they felt leaving that place, mm-hmm. other than the fact that he no longer had an acute condition. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But they didn't feel like they had solved their problem. And that's pretty frustrating when you spend two days in the hospital. Yeah, and actually a, a quote from one of these articles was that um, – People were saying they wish they could see their veterinarian oh. because their animals get get this personalized care. They're very kind and and take the time to talk to them, and yeah. they they wish that they could could be translated. Well, except so. that we've been telling our uh, puppy parents uh, mm-hmm. that they need to schedule their veterinarian appointment. Yep, you know, true. good two months out mm-hmm, as they mm-hmm. uh, get ready to take on a new puppy. So uh, even yeah. in that area, there's. Uh, uh, definitive. I, I mean, I think it's fair to say that we've got it's staffing problems everywhere. all across the board. Mm-hmm. Not just nurses, not just you know yep. uh, techs, but you know even our uh, our uh, front office people, or billing yeah. people, coding people, et cetera. Which brings me <laughs> a great segue. Yeah, that's right. Go for it. <laughs> so in Becker's ASC review, um, they presented information from Wallet Hub on the states where ASCs are struggling the most to hire enough staff, and this surprised me because. New York isn't even on here, and we're in New York, and right. I just feel like it's such a struggle. So if it's, bad, it's awful if to we think know of how bad, bad it, is it is here, and it's yeah. worse in these states. Yeah. Wow, this is amazing. Go so on. number one is Alaska, then West Virginia, Louisiana, Montana. Number five is Iowa, South Carolina, New Mexico, Virginia, Tennessee, and number 10 is North Dakota. So. If you're in those states, states <laughs> we're so uh, sorry. Luck. We're sorry. Uh, and as as we just said, you know, I mean, New York, where we actually live, uh, yeah. we know the the uh, major problem in all the states. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're in about 13 different states with ambulatory healthcare strategies, and uh, they're all. I can't name a single state where you know things are are going very well. There are parts of some states I, I do find. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you know a yeah. part of New York, for example, uh, in the uh, the Buffalo region. We're hearing that there's not a big problem recruiting nurses. I'm not quite mm-hmm. sure why. Um, and uh, but that's a real um, that that's a a very unusual f- considering mm-hmm. what's going on in the rest of the state. Yeah. And according to an article in Health Exec, ransomware attacks on healthcare organizations have more than doubled in the last five years. The attacks are also becoming much more sophisticated, and many times the information can't be recovered um, even with backups in place. In the study, only one in five organizations was able to recover their data, even, as I said, you know, it, when they backed it up. And much of the um, protected health information is being made public by being sold on the dark web. don't know what they do with it. I don't, yeah. you know, it's just such a scary situation. I mean, I know with everything, you know, whether it's text messages, yeah. emails, you know, there, there's just... A lot of people out there spending a lot of time trying to cause problems. And a lot of people spending a lot of time trying to prevent them uh, from getting in. And uh, and even with that amount of work going into Mm -hmm. it, the amount of money that's being spent. I think uh, one thing that we really encourage you to do, and you're going to probably start seeing surveyors asking a lot more questions about this, Mm -hmm. is doing a HIPAA high-tech assessment on an annual basis, or at least spending the money for a good one in the beginning, and then update it every year. And what that means is hiring an outside company, Mm -hmm. 
uh, tech company to come in and they need to be specialized. They need to have specialized knowledge of this area mm-hmm. to look for vulnerabilities within your system and yeah. to be, give you advice as to how to reduce those vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. And by the way, um, I've worked with them over the years. There are some vulnerabilities that you literally cannot fix. You uh, you end up having to pay, you know, an insurance for insurance to be able oh, to protect you geez. from that. Uh, so yeah. that that is, as you said, Sue, your your notes here are <laughs> in capital letters. Is this is scary? Yeah, I, it definitely yeah. is. Yeah, and uh, working with your IT people, I got you know the your IT company, and yeah, you know, just it's staying time on to top ditch of it. your nephew as your IT expert. <laughs> unfortunately, you're going to have to hire yeah. some some real pros out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also to that end, we have been talking to uh, SIS, one of our sponsors here, to uh, – uh, we're, as I mentioned earlier, we're putting together a series of talks about mm-hmm. IT areas, and this is definitely one of those areas yeah. we're going to talk about. So, Let's move on to some of our recent experiences. Sue, um, you know, we have uh, some new clients. Uh, unfor- fortunately, we're growing, but mm-hmm. unfortunately, some of these clients that we're taking on are – are uh, either are coming to us because they had a bad survey or they're coming upon a survey and they want to see where they stand. Mm-hmm. And I had a very disturbing conversation this last week uh, with uh, one of the doctors who said, you know, uh, these rules are stupid. Uh, the people that have made these rules, you know, don't understand. You know, I'm a doctor. I know everything. Uh, and he might. Um, but, you know, we know the regulations and we mm-hmm. know what's required. And his comment was, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to do it right while the surveyors are here, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to go back to my old ways. And, of course, the problem with a company like ours is we can't be, you know, we we have ethics that we have to follow. Uh, we, don't, we don't stick around in organizations that do that. But it was a very disturbing conversation. And, and I, I was thinking to myself, Sue, after that conversation is how many people – um, I mean, these guys were actually pretty honest with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder how many of these uh, these owners and doctors, uh, you know, really feel this way. Uh, please don't. You know, this is, you know, a surveyor can show up at any time. One comment that we've made a lot is that you think you can do it the right way when the surveyors mm-hmm. are there. But the reality is if you're not doing it every single day, uh, first of all, the surveyors are going to figure that out. You know, it, it's kind of obvious yeah. when – when you haven't done it, you know, or don't do it on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and second, there's reasons why some of these rules are out here. It really mm-hmm. reduces the risk to the patient. It's why you have a quality improvement program. It's why I'm so passionate about this, as I can already see my blood, you know, boiling about it. But you, you know, and, and of course, I'm talking to the choir. I know most of our audience are the administrators and nurse managers out there that are trying uh, to convince the, uh, you know, the doctors of the importance. And, and by the way, I don't mean to to put all the doctors into one category. It's certainly a, a minority of people that that might be having this feeling. But uh, but just do keep an eye out there. Try to find ways to make sure your your uh, your owners and your doctors totally understand how important it is to maintain this um, this uh, this high level of uh, quality of this uh, maintenance uh, in between surveys because you just never know when a surveyor is going to show up. And Sue, so during our recent survey, we had uh, an issue with the OSHA 300 form. Uh, I would encourage – I'm going to just give a little bit of information about this, but I would encourage you to look up the uh, uh, information. Just Google OSHA 300 form so that you're totally aware of what the form is, what it's for. Uh, But employers are required to record on an OSHA 300 form all work-related injuries and illnesses that result in one or more of the following. And kind of obvious ones like death, when an employee is away from work. 
uh, when they're restricted for their work or have to transfer to another job, when they receive medical treatment beyond first aid, when they lose consciousness or when they have a diagnosis of a significant injury or illness by a physician or other licensed healthcare professional as a result of something that was work-related. But an important thing is that there is an exception even to those rules, and employers must also record any work-related injury or illness that involves a needle stick or a sharps injury. So regardless of whether um, you uh, they required any additional medical treatment, if it is a needle stick or a sharps injury, you're going to need to fill out a, an OSHA 300 form. Now, that OSHA 300 form needs to be filled out within seven calendar days after the employer receives information that a recordable injury or illness has occurred. And you need to train your staff on the importance of reporting mm-hmm. uh, these types of injuries immediately so that you can act upon them. And then employers must also update the OSHA 300 form within seven calendar days after they receive additional or new information uh, about a previously recorded injury. Now, uh, one thing to note is that the OSHA 300 form doesn't have to be uh, filed with OSHA generally. Um, But uh, you have to fill this form out, keep it in an OSHA binder Mm -hmm. uh, and available, uh, keep a record for, uh, uh, for each employee that has this type of an injury. Uh, and if uh, OSHA does come in or OSHA requests a copy of that form, you need to have it available to send to them. Yep, you just have to, like you said, have it available. I know when I was starting to look into this, there are other similar forms for other industries, but for this, you don't have to, you know, report it or post it. You just have to have it have it recorded and know where it is. Right, and actually, so you're referring to the OSHA 300A form. Yeah. So we also have to remember that there is also the OSHA Form 300A, which is a summary of work-related injuries and illnesses. Now, this is a form that has to be posted uh, in some uh, in some industries. Now, the last time I talked to my friend Kara Newbury over at the ASC Association, she indicated that we are, uh, in our industry, exempt from the posting requirement. So we don't have to post it. Um, however... Uh, keep on top of this, especially if you're listening to this recording many months after this. It's something that we have to keep on top of. But the last time I spoke to Kara about this particular issue, she indicated that we don't have to post it. If you do have more than 250 employees, you will have a requirement of electronically submitting the Form 300A. So if you uh, do fall into that category, you might have an electronic uh, reporting requirement. Uh, and if you uh, – now, we don't uh, – for less than 250 employees, our best understanding is that we still don't have to be – we're in an exempt industry. And therefore, we're not required to uh, to actually electronically report this unless, again, uh, OSHA requests this of you. So for more information about the OSHA Form 300 and the uh, OSHA Form 300A, I'll post some links uh, directly to the OSHA website. And again, keep on top of this and make sure that you're uh, that you're fully complying with these regulations. And this popped up because uh, one of our uh, centers that was surveyed recently did not maintain uh, a copy of that OSHA 300 form. They had filled out everything else. They had done the incident reports. They had investigated it. They didn't take it all the way to have an actual OSHA Form 300 mm-hmm. available. So we're going to take a short break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about supply chain issues right now. Um, and we're also going to interview our friends over at Trivalence who uh, gave us some more information about what's going on in the industry right now and some uh, recent developments in uh, from a technological standpoint in the industry. So let's take that break, and we'll be right back.
Do you work long hours at your ASC, ordering from multiple vendors or managing back orders? Do you manually track POs and invoices? Do you need help sifting through paper to find payment discrepancies? Most ASCs are understaffed, overworked, and wear multiple hats, which leads to burnout. Trivalence launched an intuitive procurement to payment solution that optimizes your ASC's performance and removes the frustration from daily tasks, allowing for a happier, more productive staff. The Trivalence solution streamlines the disjointed supply chain in your busy surgery center, from ordering supplies to managing your purchase orders and invoices to making payments. The platform provides a robust dashboard with actionable reporting and lets you track your spending down to the penny. Visit trivalence.com to schedule a demo or learn more about this all-in-one solution. That's T-R-I-V-A-L-E-N-C-E dot com. So I thought it might be uh, wise to talk about supply chain right now. It's a major challenge in many ambulatory surgery centers, materials management in general, inventory management, just getting the supplies we need. We know we're we're short on uh, so many different things that there are significant shortages in some drugs, for example. And and I know that the job of a materials manager right now is getting more difficult. And And truthfully, you know, after the pandemic, just like we had problems with nursing managers, we're having problems with materials managers. Uh, being able to uh, well, being able to find them and being able to find people that are knowledgeable about the ASC industry. So let's first of all define materials management. It's the process that involves planning, organizing, and controlling the flow of materials from the identification of its need to its actual use. Materials management and material managers are critical to the success of the ambulatory surgery center due to the complexity of the supplies and materials and equipment uh, that we need uh, to be able to do the procedures that we do in a surgery center. At its base level, the objective of materials management is to is to ensure that we have the right quantity and quality of supplies and equipment, and that, of course, it arrives on time for the actual procedures that we're performing. It also involves uh, maintaining a sufficient level of inventory to do your most common procedures and, of course, finding them at the best price. You know, Sue, I, I talk a lot about uh, inventory management, supplies management, cost management, and over the years, I really preached uh, about the importance of of maintaining as low as an inventory as you possibly mm-hmm. can. And, and then the pandemic came mm-hmm. and, you know, just-in-time issues came up and we, we find ourselves in a situation where if we don't maintain a higher level of inventory mm-hmm. than what we've had in the past, you know, we're, we're going to find ourselves not being able to do procedures, which would mean we would could potentially lose more money than we would have saved by not maintaining yeah. that inventory in the first place. Mm-hmm. So successful ASCs are constantly battling the conflicting demands of keeping costs and inventory levels low, and then also assuring that those that cases aren't canceled due to the lack of supplies. Uh, and, and they also want to make sure that supplies don't stay on the shelves so long that they expire and that the supplies costs are kept to a minimum. You know, uh, the days of calling suppliers on, and distributors on the phone are quickly disappearing. And we're really moving to a system that allows purchasing individuals, uh, materials managers, to purchase supplies online as well as 
uh, being able to tie the purchasing systems into the inventory system to assure we know what our supply levels are at all times without running down to the supply room to mm-hmm. to, to uh, keep an eye on. Though, though, yeah. that, even in a computerized system, you still need to Better do that. double check. <laughs> yeah. Or, and, and as I always joke with my nurses, then checking inside of their uh, lockers <laughs> to see if they've squirreled away some of their inventory. So, you know, maintaining these systems, and again, even uh, maintenance of these inventory systems has become so complex that you, you really have to have computer systems that help you with this. Uh, another thing that's important, too, is making sure that... That, um, that the costs that you're paying for this agree to any agreements that you might have out there. You mm-hmm. might have an agreement with a uh, you know a GPO or a distributor for a certain price, and somebody's got to be checking that price against what comes in on the, inv- the, uh, the invoice to make sure it's the same number. A good materials manager is important to the success of this cycle, and finding good managers in this area is often difficult, mm-hmm. uh, just as difficult as I mentioned before about uh, of, of finding clinical staff. And even before the pandemic, we were starting to experience supply shortages, and the problem has only gotten worse after the pandemic. Uh, and, and of course, it's, it, it ties into this overall problem that we have of of, uh, of finding people at all levels of the mm-hmm. organization that are willing to work. And, of course, being able to find them at a good price. Sometimes you just, Absolutely. you know, you have to pay much more than you might have been a couple of years ago to be able to find somebody. Mm-hmm. So to discuss the current situation of the ASC supply chain and talk about ways to improve the system, we interviewed our friends over at Trivalence, which is one of our sponsors. So let's listen to that interview now. So for our focus segment, we thought we would focus on uh, the issue of supply chain. Uh, We know even before the pandemic occurred, there were a lot of challenges that our ambulatory surgery centers were were facing with regard to the supply chain, and certainly the pandemic didn't make things any easier at all, and and in fact continues to be an ongoing problem for us in in various areas, supplies, equipment, uh, and uh, pharmacy. So uh, we've called upon our friends over at Trivalence to talk to us a little bit about what those challenges are, how ambulatory surgery centers are facing them, and some possible uh, solutions to, in order to try to improve that situation. So I have with me from Trivalence, uh, Tanya and Sneha, and I welcome both of you to our podcast this week. Yeah, thank you for having us. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves before we start the, the, the discussion? Sure. So I'm Sneha Patel. I'm uh, currently working at Trivalence as the Director of Perioperative Product Development. My background is in majorly supply chain for almost a dozen years. Um, I've worked at many large healthcare uh, medical centers, the last one being HSS, uh, which is a primarily orthopedic supply chain. I'm Tanya Kraus, and I'm currently the head of strategic supplier engagement at Trivalence. My history and background is I have over 30 years experience in the non-acute space. My entire career has been dedicated to the outpatient setting in both clinics and surgery centers, as well as leading non-acute divisions of you know, major GPOs. So I've lived and breathed this space my entire career, and I'm very passionate about it. So I thought we would start by talking about what are some of those challenges that indeed the ambulatory surgery centers in general are facing? So John, obviously, healthcare is faced with the staffing challenge that every other industry is faced with today. So staffing seems to be the number one concern. We also see lack of automation being a challenge. You know, The non-acute market in general has been slow to adopt automation and technology. And then also real 
true lack of visibility, lack of visibility of crucial data. Yeah, and I, I think uh, it, it's very fair to talk about uh, staffing to start with because uh, we we find this both at the at the uh, the staff level as well as leadership level. As a matter of fact, we actually have some pretty significant issues with identifying and and uh, growing leaders. Uh, a lot of uh, challenges that we found during the pandemic was that a lot of uh, uh, our more senior people decided that maybe it's time for them to retire or to move on, uh, and that has not uh, let up in the least. And people that are just leaving the industry, I mean, because of uh, of how uh, how much work it is. You know, it's not a it's not a fun industry. People think that oh. You know, there's there's this ongoing um, argument that if you're working in the hospital, you can retire into an ambulatory surgery center or go into an ambulatory surgery center and find yourselves not having to work as hard, which, of course, as we all know, is exactly the opposite. What are some of the ways that ASCs can address these staffing issues on a short-term basis? You know, John, you mentioned so many people retiring and, you know, we can't double the clinical staff overnight, right? Right. It's going to take years for us to um, train and educate. So I think the number one way is to maximize the use of your clinical staff. You know, remove all non-clinical tasks from your clinical staff. Um, You know, I've seen some really creative ways to do that um, and utilizing different types of people from the industry, like I'm seeing ASCs use EMTs for IV starts instead of, you know, pulling their RNs or LPNs into pre-op. So I think we have to, you know, we have to maximize our staff today, um, remove, you know, as many non-critical tasks from them and assign them to other people. And of course, be very careful to make sure that that's within the scope of practice for those individuals. For example, in some states, the EMT might not actually uh, be yep. able to do that in an ambulatory surgery setting. Yeah, absolutely. You know, another way is to, you know, remove duplicative task. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the ways that I've seen um, some surgery centers save time and maximize their staff is wearing headsets instead of, you know, a runner having to go between, you know, waiting room, pre-op, et cetera. They're using headsets it's saving them time, you know, it's saving steps, it's reducing transition times tremendously. So, you know, we have to get creative today. Mm-hmm. And your point about uh, using, uh, I, I mean, the, the implication that you're making, of course, is if you're going to take the non-clinical responsibilities away from uh, the, the nursing and the clinical staff, that means you're going to be assigning them to individuals that might be more readily hireable or able to be hired. Correct. So uh, moving on, what are some of the challenges that ASCs face with their actual supply chain? So ASCs overlook opportunities that um, that can help them squeeze out more margin and create greater workflow efficiencies. Um, supply chain challenges are ongoing and there are untapped or un- unexplored opportunities that can help ASCs overcome these challenges. So basically just the visibility of what critical supplies they, the ASC actually has on hand um, how long these supplies will last them before their next shipment can arrive, the visibility from their distributor when they when the distributor actually runs out of a particular item, 
And then shifting from manual processes to automation, for example, um, you know, currently multiple ASCs use multiple websites for ordering supplies. Um, and this is, you know, it's, it's very hard to keep track of what's coming in, what's going out, who ordered what supplies. Um, having that all in one system kind of helps them track who ordered it, when it was placed, and potentially when it's arriving um, based on the platform that they're using. Um, also, a lot of ASCs don't have an automated three-way match um, for paying invoices. So currently, their invoices are in a different system, and their procurement system is a, a completely different system. So what we what we suggest is looking into their technology and really really diving into what opportunities they can they can come up with for automating the three-way match and for instance three-way match meaning what they ordered on their purchase order and what they received is actually what's being invoiced um so the price matches what the order price was um the number of items invoiced matches what they actually ordered and received at the same time so automating that process actually helps them understand this invoice is ready to be paid or there's a certain discrepancy within that invoice. As a CPA, that's one of those things that I'm very concerned about. You know, I uh, back yeah. when I was an administrator, I actually did a study once, uh, it ended up being a QI study, Sue, um, where we, uh, we compared the invoice that was received with what we should have paid. And we found mm -hmm. this was unbelievable to me. Over 50% of the invoices had something wrong. And exactly to your point, you know, Sneha, the, the, um, uh, there would be something wrong. The price would be different than what uh, we agreed to when we ordered it. Uh, we didn't receive the full quantity. Maybe some of it was still on back order, but they were invoicing us for the full amount, et cetera. And your point is very well taken is that this can be a very manual process, can take an awful lot of time you know, with an individual if they're looking for paper to do this. So an automated process here would would definitely simplify things. Another point to make, too, is that often that process is indeed done by uh, sometimes a clinical person, um, which, uh, you know, because maybe they're available at that time or they're the ones that are nearest the door when that comes in. Um, and, and again, this is a function that really is an accounting function best put uh, off to them. If they have a automated process that is tied into everything else that you're doing, it would really help. Exactly. So what are some of the causes of these problems? Do you have any advice for ambulatory surgery centers about this? Yeah. So in my opinion, what we have not done in the ASC and non-acute segment is creating unified workflow across materials, finance, and the operational teams. You know, John, you mentioned previously 50% error rate on invoicing. You know, that also creates an issue for our distributors and our manufacturers, right? Because sometimes ASCs hold the whole invoice. It creates a, a receivables issue from the vendor community. You know, I also think it's critical to allow our ASC staff to focus on patient care and operations, not administrative tasks and paperwork. And then, you know, one other idea or option is to improve data collection and accuracy by having a centralized source of information versus fragmenting and operating in silos. And I'd like to add on to that as well. Um, in most cases, if an ASC has a procurement system, there are certain limitations in the, in the terms of their data that they can control and the visibility that they have in their current platforms. And there's also some supply chain issues that are directly related to manufacturers, for instance, um, like obtaining metal for arthropedic implants and plastics for certain critical supplies like syringes. 
advice on that, uh, it would just be to connect with their distributors or their vendors to really see what supply chain disruptions they're facing um, and kind of build that relationship with them to see if you can probably become like have a better opportunity that way. Yeah, definitely. We have uh, some significant problems with our, you mentioned it before, but with our computer systems, you know, we, um, in the amateur surgery industry, uh, it really is recommended that you use a um, a computer system, uh, such as one of our sponsors, SIS, for example, that manages inventory, manages, uh, even has uh, modules for uh, uh, for developing purchase orders, things like that. So it's very important that you use those, those types of systems and those systems be integrated with any other solutions like we're going to talk about a little bit later here. Mm-hmm. I, I have an interesting question, though. For years, I've been preaching the importance of keeping your inventory levels low because that keeps your keeps cash on hand, uh, reduces the chance that you're going to um, have supplies uh, age out or you know expire before you're able to use them. What are your yeah. thoughts on that? I, I, and I, by the way, I don't have a great answer myself. It's just that it's curious that uh, you know we we're, we can't say that anymore, at least for now. And how much longer do you think we, we might have with the supply chain challenge that we are, we're facing? So um, supply chain issues are always going to be a challenge. Um, there's always something that's going to, you know, occur a new, you know, a new pandemic might come up and we might have face other challenges with other types of items. Um, the best advice I can give is at least have a, uh, a week or two week worth of stock on hand. And uh, of course, connect with your distributor. Um, they may be seeing the cha- the supply challenges before it gets to the ASC themselves. And, you know, they can kind of be clear on what what they're facing. Um, you know, they might not be able to get sterile gauze in time. Um, maybe they have a bigger size that they can offer. Um, so even looking at your alternatives, I would advise on um, looking at that beforehand before you run out of options um, at that point. So a two-week cushion would kind of help out, but also discussing with your distributors um, relying heavily on your reps as well. The reps have those inside information that they can kind of share that information with you as well. Yeah, I actually, that makes a very good point. Uh, I actually work with HIDA, the Health Industry Distributors Association. And uh, so I I talk to the other side. I talk to them about how they best sell to ambulatory surgery centers. One of the, the comments that I'm constantly making to them is stop selling and start consulting. In other words, think yep. of themselves as a consultant. And I think to your point, that's really a great advice is uh, instead of treating your salesperson as uh, somebody is trying to sell you a product all the time, convert them, you know, help them to understand that they can really be a, a good partner, a good consultant uh, by helping them, uh, helping you to understand, um, you know, exactly where the challenges are. And, you know, hopefully you develop a good trust level between uh, the two of you so that you can figure out what the proper inventory levels are and, and purchase things, not because they're going to make a big commission on it, but because they're worried that you're not going to get first, you know, dibs on anything that's available. Exactly. Yeah, John, to your point, we view the vendors as absolutely critical to the ASC and healthcare ecosystem. Um, to your point, again, you know, it's vital that you have those relationships but it's also important that you build in supply chain resiliency by having multiple relationships, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. we learned during the pandemic, you know, you might have to go to other resources. You might have to think outside of the box in, you know, acquiring product. So supply chain resiliency, strong relationships with the vendor community, 
And I also recommend, you know, as part of those relationships, you trust those reps, but you also verify the data. Yeah. Yeah. And, and making vendors a very critical part of your whole ecosystem. So let's get into the weeds a little bit. Can you give some personal experiences with some of these problems and, and how they've been overcome? Yeah, yeah. So before the pandemic, uh, of course, supply chain still had issues and we had back orders of many sorts. So basically, I, I used that leverage as with my uh, distributors and, you know, I, I my main distributor, I actually asked them, um, you know, we had a contract. We have certain amount, like three months of supplies at the distributor themselves that they would hold on for us. Um, so I would we created a help me report. So basically, this report kind of indicated what our critical items are and how long until, based on our usage, how long until we run out of those supplies um, and when the next shipment will come in for them. So that that actually helped us gain more clarity on, you know, by the time I run out of, uh, let's say, a four by four gauze again, uh, by the time I run out of that sterile gauze, um, it's going to be two or three weeks in. But at that point, I can already start looking for alternatives just in case there is a back order. Um, and we do run out of like out of stock situations. So I really I very heavily relied on my distributor to provide that information to me. I would also work with my vendor reps in case of emergencies um, by obtaining sample items. And we had like an emergency value analysis that where, you know, I, I pull in a nurse, I pull in our educator. And I say, hey, this is a new needle. Um, is it going to cause any issues moving forward? Can we use this needle instead of, you know, our our safety needles that we have in hand um, because we will potentially run out? So I think even providing that communication to our clinicians is is very key for supply chain leaders. Um, that open communication lets them know that you are working hard to get them supplies because you also care about patient care. Um, so that really adds value to that part of it. Uh, during the pandemic, it was actually a bit rough uh, because we had staff members that were getting sick. Um, some were too afraid to actually work uh, during the pandemic. And, you know, we were at a huge medical center that we could not close since we were taking in COVID patients. Um, and at that point, you know, I, I actually leveraged my vendor reps, um, let's say like Arthrex or Stryker, um, certain reps that I had used for cases um, where I didn't have enough staff in the beginning to maintain certain trays, the sterile trays that uh, we use during the OR process. And um, I actually relied on reps to provide loaner trays when we needed, um, help me fill some trays um, because they were the experts on these trays. Um, and I had stuff that were actually out of out of pocket and I could not use them at that time. So I, I did leverage them a lot more during the pandemic. Um, and I think that helped us get through like certain trauma surgeries and things of that sort that we had to keep moving on with uh, besides elective surgeries. So that that really did help. And Sneha, really, uh, you bring up a very important point, and and just following up on something Tanya said earlier, never have only one source for uh, for any of your products. Always have you know some backup ideas. Of course, there's going to be products that that's going to be very difficult with, but a good materials management person is going to be, first of all, uh, developing good relationships with their distributors, with their manufacturers, reps, etc., and always identifying what the next, uh, what a backup solution might be if they run into a situation where they, uh, they're not able to meet those needs. Very good point. Exactly. 
Yep. Those are great points. And I think I need to, to, to make an important point for our uh, directors of finance and our uh, CFOs out there is that, as I mentioned earlier, you know, those inventory levels that we've maintained in the past, which were really low, uh, might not be the way we should be doing it into the future. And, and part of this could save you money because if you have to buy supplies at the last minute and have them drop shipped and 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 spend you know a lot of money for that uh, that last minute, that's going to cost you a lot more money. So you might find it more cost effective to be able to increase those those uh, inventory levels, put a little bit of cash out to be able to do that, so that in the end you're going to save money, or more importantly, that you're not going to have to cancel surgery because you can imagine. You know, some of those cases that, that that might have to be canceled because you don't have the proper supplies or a backup supply, uh, they might never come back to you. Those are great points. Mm-hmm. So what do you think uh, ASCs can do today to overcome some of these challenges? What are some of the short-term goals that ASCs can achieve? So ASCs really haven't had a procurement system like Amazon or something of that sort that's really dynamic, that shows you what's available, when it will come in, and things of that sort. As a former director of supply chain at multiple medical centers, I have had opportunities to work with multiple procurement systems where um, I felt like they didn't meet all of my certain needs. um, And I I lacked visibility from that standpoint. Um, So um, I would suggest ASCs to really evaluate what technology they're using at their ASC at the moment, such as do they have an automated three-way match currently in their in their technology? Um, the ability to order from multiple vendors, can you combine them all into one system? So you have that visibility of what's being ordered and where you see those orders coming in from. Also visibility to your discrepancies um, in a single view versus having multiple different avenues to see different you know, discrepancies, um, for example, like EDI or invoice discrepancies. Um, it's best to kind of have it in one view so it's easier to, to work on those um, as they come up. Understanding spending patterns and supply chain for greater efficiency. And then the capability to cope with your supply chain shortages and disruptions, Um, having that insight and visibility on what's remaining in stock and when you would run out of that inventory is is a big deal when you evaluate your technology. So to add to Sineha's um, comments, I think it's also critical that you utilize a platform that reduces, you know, implementation time that's easy to use. John, as you mentioned, you know, there are clinicians that are placing these orders. They don't have the luxury of time to learn a complicated system. Things today need to be as easy as Amazon. You know, I hate to use the word, the words plug and play, but it it really does need to be that easy in the ASC setting. You know, you also, ASCs have employee, you know, churn and employee turns. So, the systems need to be easy to learn and easy to maintain. Right. With wide availability of products, with the ability to uh, uh, quickly compare, you know, one product to another and see what might, what, where you might be able to get the best price. Uh, and, and, of course, that's where our, our friends uh, Trivalence comes in is that you have a platform, you know, that does that, that, that looks a lot like Amazon and indeed functions in some of the same ways. And, of course, it's kind of in its early implementation phase, but it's definitely our, something our listeners should think about. 
Um, but uh, you know, I, I, I'm sure that many of our listeners are actually using Amazon right now, which is okay. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a solution. It's not necessarily one where uh, you're, you're going to be able to get the best product at the best price that you're dealing with retail sales as opposed to something that would be more commercial. And of course, you're not necessarily getting those volume discounts that you might get in another platform. And along those lines, as uh, new options become available to the ASC industry, we're going to see an influx of new options available to us. What should we, what should ambulatory surgery centers be considering when they're evaluating those different solutions that might be coming? So obviously, the speed and complexity of implementation, onboarding and training, you know, we spoke to that a little bit a few minutes ago, degree of automation, level of effort for maintenance and troubleshooting, um, turnaround times for updates and inputs, but not only turnaround time, but, you know, just the ability of the platform to be agile and be next gen. You know, there are platforms in the industry that have been around for years, but, you know, they, they're very much status quo. You know, I think ASCs need to be thinking about, you know, technology that will move them into the future. Mm-hmm. That is forward thinking, um, but also remove complexities of fees and contracts, make it easy. And how can ASCs prepare for, uh, you know, for, for future growth? Well, from an overall ASC perspective and, you know, business operations perspective and clinical perspective, you know, key, key things to me are education, you know, training the nurses for the OR in the ASC setting, training your staff. Um, You know, we often see scrub techs, right, move into supply chain areas, train those scrub techs on supply chain. I mean, often they don't know. They, they have no knowledge of supply chain. They don't understand what a GPO is. They don't understand, you know, uh, the real role that distribution plays and how critical the reps and distribution um, is to the ASC. You know, also physician leadership is important. Yeah. You know, that was one of the things that we really realized during the pandemic. You know, you, in my opinion, the physician leadership of an ASC should work very closely with their hospitals and their community, you know, bridging that gap, especially as the, you know, the continuum of care shifts and the procedures move from the inpatient setting to the outpatient setting. I mean, we all know that the ASC is a safer place, you know, for patients for the majority of procedures. So I think, you know, education, physician leadership, and then also technology. You know, we've talked about technology a lot during this podcast, and um, I think automation is going to be key. Automate every task possible, and then also to make sure that your technology is very agile. You know, you don't want an antiquated technology platform or system to become just another pain point in your ASC. Yeah, we really do need to uh, to improve. I, I think we we as ambulatory surgery center leaders uh, need to prepare our staff for the the, the new products that are going to be out there, the new uh, websites that are going to be available, the new uh, technology that's going to be available. And and a lot of our our people are still kind of stuck in old technology. Um, we need to prepare a budget. That includes education, continually educating staff, listen to the podcast, perhaps, because those are things that we're going to be talking about more as time goes on. 
Uh, you know, we have our uh, staff edition, for example, and those are some of the things that we want to, you know, start getting uh, staff members to be uh, prepared for, as well as just ongoing education. One of the great things during the pandemic that we all learned to do is start using uh, virtual conferencing, uh, which is a cost-effective way of doing that. And what a perfect opportunity to be able to provide uh, new and fresh education on the different technological op- options that are available um, and new things that are available even on the Internet. I mean, the Internet's here to stay, obviously, and uh, we have to find ways to capitalize on the new uh, new opportunities that are there. Yep, I agree with that as well. ASC should definitely look at their current state technologies and, you know, to, to see what processes can they automate, even if it's a short time goal, like what can we work into automation and then, you know, get to the big picture of like automating whatever they can as much as they can. Um, I also encourage ASCs to reach out to their distributors because sometimes they may have some solutions to actually help them, just like how I reached out to my distributor and, and had that help me report. Um, you know, they, they may have something short term to help with that, that staffing issue and supply chain issue, but, you know, definitely evaluating your technology and automating some of those manual processes that you have currently at your ASC. So this is all well and great, but... I guess my question is, do we have to wait a long time for uh, a great solution to this? Is there is there something out there perhaps that might be able to help our ambulatory surgery centers uh, in the very near term? Actually, there is a platform out there. Um, we are we are actually live um, currently with Trivalence, and we do have certain aspects that the ASCs are looking for. So um, we are offering demos that you can just sign up right online um, at trivalence.com. So, John, the ASCs haven't been looking for a solution because one like Trivalence did not exist a year ago. To Sneha's point, we are live. um, We are an agile system. And we built the system around the needs of the ASC. We didn't build a system and try to push it, push it you know, down to an ASC, we built it with ASCs. And, and again, I, um, I want to thank both of you for, uh, first of all, sponsoring, you know, the ASC podcast. We rely upon our sponsors to be able to continue to provide this uh, content. And I think you've got a, a great product that is really going to uh, benefit the industry. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. In this segment, we provide an update on upcoming topics for the podcast, our upcoming virtual conferences, and upcoming speaking engagements for John and his staff and other events in the ASC industry. So the Georgia Society of Ambulatory Surgery Centers and the South Carolina Ambulatory Surgery Center Association uh, are holding their semi-annual conference and trade show March 30th to 31st at the Renaissance Atlanta Waverly Hotel. And AORN's Global Surgical Conference and Expo 2023 is going to be held April 1st through the 4th at the Henry B. Gonzalez Convention Center in San Antonio, Texas. And the ASCA 2023 Conference and Expo is May 17th through the 20th, 2023 at the Kentucky International Convention Center in Louisville, Kentucky. And Sue, you just signed up 12 of our employees there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll be speaking there, and uh, we're very excited about that. It's uh, And we'll be doing a podcast, at least one yep. podcast, probably a couple. And if you are a listener... Um, 
we'll provide some information on how you get in touch with us during the conference or uh, send an email to info at ASC podcast. And maybe you can be on one of those episodes. And the Arizona Ambulatory Surgery Centers Association's annual conference and exhibits is June 22nd and 23rd, 2023 at the JW Marriott Camelback Inn Resort and Spa in Scottsdale, Arizona. And the Florida Society of Ambulatory Surgical Centers annual conference and trade show is July 19th through 21st, 2023 at the Lowe's Portofino Bay Hotel Universal in Orlando. And we do want to remind everybody of our upcoming boot camps. The May Director of Nursing Boot Camp is coming up, and it's advertised on our website at ASCPodcast.com. The July Administrators Boot Camp uh, is also there, and we will be uh, introducing our our brand new boot camp, which will be in August, uh, the Business Office Manager Boot Camp. And that's actually going to start August 8th. Uh, also, don't forget about all of our recorded events, uh, which are all available at ASCPodcast.com. We have our credentialing conference that was recorded in 2020, but it's still relevant, of course. We have the Fall 2022 Finance and Accounting Conference, the Conditions for Coverage Conference, which is a full-day conference that goes for all the conditions for coverage, mm-hmm. uh, the Medical Director Conference, which is like a six-hour conference for medical directors on what their responsibilities are. And we do have on-demand versions of the Director of Nursing and Administrators Boot Camps. And again, all of those are available at ASCPodcast.com. We do want to remind everyone to become a patron member of the podcast, the Patron Member Program, which is also known as ASC Central is an exclusive membership website that provides a one-stop ASC regulatory and accreditation compliance operations and financial management resource for busy administrators, nurse managers, and business office managers. And the resources include some of our virtual conferences, links, policies and procedures, forms, drills, and and various discounts. And uh, patron members are able to visit uh, with us on Saturday mornings. not always on Saturday mornings, but that's mm-hmm. our regular time at 10 o'clock Eastern Standing Time. We had a lot of people on today. We it did. was well over you know, quite a one of our bigger sessions. And we always get a lot of advice. Sue, so we, we when we were getting ready for today, we weren't quite sure what we were going to talk about. So uh, somebody mentioned <laughs> we asked for uh, ideas. <laughs> and said uh, instructions for you. So that's why we're talking about mm-hmm. it. And membership helps to defray the cost of producing the podcast, including our research staff, travel costs to conferences, equipment costs, and production costs. And for more information, you can visit uh, ASCPodcast.com. So thank you for tuning in to this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey. We hope you found this discussion informative and engaging. And if you did, we encourage you to share it with your friends and colleagues in the ASC industry. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss one of our episodes. We like to give a special shout out to our amazing team who make this podcast possible. Our sound editor, Susan Cronkite, our executive producer, I guess that would be me, John Gailey, and our dedicated research team of Jenna Alvarez, Judy D'Ambrosio, Alex Borneman, Zach Galritis, Amy Durbano, Lori Rodericks, Kathy Foti, Donna Macchio, Ann Geyer, and Diana Powell. We couldn't do it without them. Our music is provided by Media Sushi and Mike Noah, and the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is hosted on Podbean and is available on all major podcast platforms. We look forward to bringing you more exciting discussions and insights in the future episodes. Thanks so much for listening. This episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is sponsored by Trivalence. Trivalence offers a comprehensive next-generation ASC solution that optimizes payment and supply chain performance, 
enabling actionable data insights. For more information about Trivalence, visit their website at trivalence.com. That's T-R-I-V-A-L-E-N-C-E.com. This podcast is an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as, nor does it constitute legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development. All rights are reserved. If you're interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at ASCPodcast.com. We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at ASCPodcast.com.